welcome to the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 11, we go isometric when we review two games with similar angles. First, we'll pump you up with Airball, and then see if the budget game Head Over Heels is something to flip over. Now here are your episode's hosts, David, Kieran, and Michael. Okay, so into the general news. And first of all, we are really pleased to announce that David is back. Hooray! Yay! But Bill is taking a break this time around. Sad faces. Yep, so we're glad and we're sad at the same time. So hopefully one day we'll get all four of us um, back in a virtual room for a future episode. There always seems to be one of us missing at the moment. Yes. But as long as we're all entertaining you, that's what matters. So unfortunately, we've got a bit of sad news from the Atari community to start with. Um, Benjamin Smith from Bravo Sierra Computers, who has been an Atari source since 1978, has stage four kidney failure, according to his post on the Google group CompSysAtari.8bit. So that's very sad news indeed. We've mentioned his company in previous episodes as a source for Mario Brothers in episode two and for Fight Night in our last episode. So we wish all the best to Ben and his family and hope that he's able to find a donor soon. Surprisingly, he's also still taking orders. So if you can, check his site out and throw a few bucks his way. We'll provide a link to his website in the show notes as always. But it's www.bravosierracomputers.com. So, Michael, what have you got to tell us? Well, you know, in the last episode, I bragged about my new Blue Ice microphone, which I had hoped that uh, it would sound a lot better than this gaming headset uh, mic that I'm using currently. Well, um, I listened to the episode, and I guess I didn't set it up properly because it sounded terrible, in my opinion. So I think in the future, I'll need to do a little more prep work with it. But I figured I'd go back to good old reliable and and, um, and at least get a consistent experience. So uh, other than that, I went to this month's uh, Seattle Retro Computer Society meeting, and there was a guy there... Uh, who I'd never seen before, and he started talking about being part of the development of the Atari 800. So a little light went off, and I, I thought, what's your name? And he said, Joe DeCour. Oh, <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. So I spent some time um, like talking to him and stuff, and he was just a wealth of information. He told stories about back in the day and stuff, and uh, fascinating stuff. And, of course, he's been interviewed several times, so there's no sense in us doing it, but um, I'm sure if you do a search online, you'll find it. Um, he also brought a picture of his uh, retro systems that he has in his collection, which is like two giant shelves full of Atari 8-bit stuff, 2600 stuff, and Amigas. Funnily enough, actually, um, God, it must have been about two years ago, mm-hmm. I got a message from Joe DeCur on uh, LinkedIn, it was. Oh. Because I, I, think I think we'd linked up some reason, a long time ago anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sent me a message and just said, you know, hi. He said, I'm in London for two days. Wow. Um, and London's like, it's... It, it's 25, 30 minutes on the train for me to London. Easy, oh, right? Cool. Um, really easy. And um, he said, yeah, he said, so if you wanted to meet up and get an interview with me, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd be happy to do that. He said, I've got plenty of free time while I'm, I'm over here. Um, but it just so happened that at that, that point, I was away myself. Oh. I mean, talk about bad luck. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I was absolutely gutted. So, yeah. yeah funny. I'm glad you got to meet him. That was really yeah. cool. 
very nice guy, and he actually we were trying to help um, fix a keyboard for uh, another member of the um, of the group, and basically just talked to him in great detail about how this all works, and you know trying to troubleshoot and stuff. And he said, well, he's running out of time. He had to go to a guitar. Uh, he had a guitar practice class, so he kind of popped in, popped out a little bit, but he said he'll be back in the future and he'll bring, he's like, well, what do you guys want to see? I've got a ton of stuff. And so I said, well, I don't know. Bring something that we'll be impressed with. Whatever it is, we're all just open to see whatever you've got. So, so he said, do that. And I thought, what a, what a great opportunity. So yeah, guy's local here too. He's up just north of me. So in addition to that, um, at the same meeting, I was, uh, I was given an Apple II E keyboard. I have an old Apple II that's missing a few keys. And one of the members said, hey, I'm not using this Apple II E you take it and sure enough the keyboard came and it's like oh it's a different it's got a bunch of different key switches so now i got a two apple two east to fix <laughs> but at least you know these things are uh they're built like tanks and i'm sure i can find there's lots of people supporting them so uh, i'm sure i'll get a lot of um, help elsewhere so that's it for me what about you david well 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 finally showed up how long many episodes <laughs> has it been three four fifteen i think it's about three yeah yeah Okay, well, in all that busy, super busy time, there's not that much to update, but I picked up a Uno cart. Uh, that's for the Atari 8-bit, made by McRory. I believe that's the Atari age handle. He runs a company called the Brewing Academy. Now, the Uno cart costs less than the Ultimate cart, and it's also an SD card solution for the 8-bit computer. Okay. Uh, it will allow you to load XEX, ATR, CAR, and ROM files on real hardware using the cartridge and using the built-in menu. And this time it has a find feature, which is really cool. You just type in uh, what game you're looking for and you can have thousands of games in different folders and it will bring it right up for you. Wow. Now, the only thing is if you're going to be loading ATR files, which are basically disk files, you're going to need a 64K and above Atari 8-bit. So it's most likely XL and XE only versions for the disk files. Uh, but there's very good support via Atari Age or directly from the maker, and it comes with a manual and a, and a cartridge shell. On another news, uh, my paisan, uh, Captain Bob of the Atari 5200 podcast, he was able to be at PRGE this year again, and he picked up some great games for me. So for the 2600, I got Mappy and Super Cobra by Champ Games. I'm really looking forward to their Wizard of War that's coming out next year with uh, voices and I'm telling you they put so many voices in there I can't even believe that the original Wizard of War has any more voices than what they've done for the Atari 2600 <laughs> so it is jam packed oh yes you're going to get a lot of use out of the Atari Vox uh, unit and also what's really cool is because the Atari 2600 only has two ports they're also going to be making an adapter or a multi-tap. The multi-tap will allow two players to go work through part, port one, and the Atari Vox will be in port two where you get all the sound. So that's pretty cool. Didn't they already have a, a device that does that up to eight players, I think? Uh, I'm not so sure they... if for the 2600 itself. There is uh, for okay. the Atari 8-bit. Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Yes, the Atari 8-bit definitely has. Anyway... Now, I did notice, as you know, even though I'm not on the show at the time, I do still listen to the episodes as they come out. And, of course, you know, as usual, while David's away, the Commodore 64 gets a few little ribs <laughs> and jabs. So I would like to update the podcast by saying that I now am the proud owner of an Ultimate 64 from Gideon Logic Architecture. And what is that? That is a hardware implementation 
FPGA of an entire C64 and also includes the legendary Ultimate 2 Plus expansion. Well, you just mentioned Commodore 64, unfortunately, again. Um, but uh, <laughs> Are I'm you sure keeping you, up sure with I your Commodore? This. Because your sure Commodore is keeping before. up with you? Boo. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I might not have mentioned this before, but I might have. But uh, I'm sure you've all seen the Commodore 64 Mini. Yes. Yes, I was involved with that. How? I picked the game selection that went on it. Are you kidding? Uh, so, I did some of the early testing on it. Um, I saw it before pretty much anyone else. The, I was the first person to have a video on YouTube showing it. And uh, I sat in the office and picked the games list because the people who made it are also my book publishers. I was wondering how you got the connection. Did they just look for people yeah. that were doing games and stuff? And no, no, no. They're, 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 their office is a 10-minute walk from me. Oh, boy. The, one of the owners of the company lives two streets away from me. Oh, Wow. Yeah, and I was in their office working, um, doing a lot of work in their office. Uh, I was using it rather than being at home because it was quieter um, for a, a quite a long period of time um, before I moved house. And uh, yeah, and uh, the uh, the guy who one of the guys around the company, Paul Andrews, said to me, um, "You know games better than anyone in this office. Here's a list of I think it was near enough 400 games. Oh Can God. you get that down to 64?" Because <laughs> they, they had they had the license for nearly near enough four hundred, but yeah. Oh my god! Can you get down that? Get, can you get that down to sixty four games for me? That you think people would want to play? You know. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was me who did that part of it. So, so why yeah. they slice it down to sixty four is just because of the name the number yeah, sixty four. Exactly that. They okay. thought it sounded cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because the intention is always to to be able to add more, which you can now do. They fixed all of that. So you can oh. add games onto it, but they also want to have a store at some point. So you can kind of download games from a store as well. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they will have obviously lots available when that's launched. Well, very cool. They can thank you or blame you for the uh, game selection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my actual news now, after we've gone on a Commodore detour, I'm boo, unfortunately. Um, I'll, I'll try not to do that again. I do apologize to all our... You're uh, a double Atari agent, Kieran. Just, just keep talking. <laughs> Everyone knows I love Atari. Uh, so, not that much to tell you about this episode, because uh, we've actually kept our recordings pretty close together for once. But um, I do need to mention the sad passing of chiptune legend Ben Dalgleish. I probably should have put this in the general news, actually. Um, but I didn't think about it at the time. So, um, I was lucky enough to meet him several times at retro events, and he was always the absolute life of the party, a really genuine guy with a serious passion for um, what he did and uh, he's probably best known for his Commodore 64 work but he did do a lot of great stuff for other machines too Atari 8-bit included so a while back I, I actually made a YouTube compilation of his pokey music so if you do want to check out what he did do you can head over to my channel and have a listen and I'll also put a uh, link for that in the show notes but he did the music for um, offhand Gauntlet Basil, the Great Mouse Detective, Deflector. Um, there were some others, but they're, they're some of the ones that he did on the the, the Atari 8-bit. But um, yeah, one of the, one of the genuinely one of the best you know chip tune musicians has ever been. So um, very sad loss. He died of cancer. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, so it was a real real shame to, to lose you know a, a, such a genuine guy. You know, he was always there there for the community as well. So, uh, speaking of YouTube, I've done a few videos that might interest all you Atari 8-bit fans. 
So first of all, I did a long compilation of all the games released on cartridge for the Zegs, which includes homebrews and prototypes too. I also did a video countdown looking at 25 of the best shoot-em-ups for the Atari 8-bit, which seems to have gone down well. And uh, on a slightly related note, I've done a countdown of the 50 greatest systems of all time, according to the readers of Retro Gamer magazine. Because in the magazine, they actually only listed the top 25, but I've got the full list of the f- of 50, so I thought it'd be cool to make a video out of it and show where you know everything ranked. So... Um, where do you think the Atari 8-bit gets to on the list out of 50? No, uh, number one. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you're being a bit uh, hopeful, thinking it'd be number one, but you never know. Watch the video and find out. But it, it, does, it does get there. But all of the Atari machines make the list, so that's a good thing. You might be surprised at, at how high a couple of them are, though. Uh, well, the Atari so 5200 you, must be near the top. It's not on there at all, actually. I should say more, that because, more. obviously, it's uh, Retro Games, a UK magazine. We never had the Atari 5200 in the UK. Ah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Although people from all over the world voted in, in, in the poll, obviously, because the, the majority of the readership is in this country. Yeah, people don't think about the 5200, I don't think. But there we go. It's close enough to the Atari 8-bit, so oh, I think that counts. So, new games. Um, there's been so many since we last recorded. It's actually really hard to keep up with them at the moment. I think this was helped by the fact that the um, ABBUC coding competition has just commenced and finished. And the Silly Venture event was in Poland just recently, uh, where some really great titles were competing for first place, only for them all to get defeated by an amazing new Atari ST game called Rocks Zero. So if you like the Atari ST, I really recommend going and looking up Rocks Zero because it looks absolutely incredible. It's a vertically scrolling shoot 'em up, but it looks so good it could be an arcade game. It's it's really amazing. So let's have a rundown of of um, some of the best games that have been released. This isn't all of them, so. Um, I've tried to pick out the highlights. First of all, Total Eclipse. This is another conversion of a 3D polygon-based game from the Commodore 64. It's an Egyptian-themed adventure game that I have fond memories of playing on the ZX Spectrum as a kid. So like Stunt Car Racer before it, same um, team who did it, it actually runs better on the Atari than the Commodore thanks to the A8's faster clock speed. So yay, boost up Commodore. So if you're impressed by Stunt Car Racer, then go and have a look at Total Eclipse, because I'd argue that actually, from a 3D perspective, it's even more impressive. So very good indeed. So next up, I only just heard about this one, literally this weekend, uh, as we're recording, but Impossible Mission. So remember the Epic's Classic that was uh, converted to the Atari 7800 and numerous other platforms? Mm -hmm. Well, I was very surprised that it never actually made it onto the Atari 8-bit. I've always thought that 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 was strange, because quite a lot of Epic's games did. But now this um, has been put right, thankfully. So definitely going to be one to look out for when it's finished. But the early signs of the uh, the demo and stuff that I've seen look really, really good. Didn't the uh, 7801 have a bug in it that you couldn't finish it or something on some of the cartridges? On the NTSC version, yes. The, ah. power, the power version was fixed. That's right. Um, but I believe that there is actually they did fix the NTSC one. You can like download you know, a ROM um, right. the NTSC. It is fixed. But the power version is fine. It was only the yeah, to see one that was that was bugged. Yeah, nice. unfortunately. 
Yeah. So next up, uh, Flimbo's Quest. Are those just released for a bunch of other systems? This platform game has always been particularly highly regarded among C64 owners. The Atari bit port is seriously impressive and finished second place at Silly Venture behind the aforementioned ST game. So another another really impressive game. So colourful. Um, if you thought Crownland was good, that was, came a few years ago, this is even more impressive. So, you know, there's been some really technically impressive games released recently. So next, uh, Sales of Doom. This is a particularly interesting new strategy game as it's entirely focused on the multiplayer aspect as up to eight people can play via the excellent multi-joy adapter that we were kind of talking about earlier. So you just need to find some friends who want to play old Atari games with you now. <laughs> it's just than done. Uh, I imagine that'll be quite popular at parties, uh, you know, uh, Atari parties, that is, not like general parties, because I think you might look a bit sad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear this is not a game where you uh, you adjust the sales of the the original Doom game. That would be boring. It'd be a spreadsheet of some sort. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's kind of like pirates battling. Oh, cool! Kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah it looks really good. Um, so I I might have to download it and try and find it and get it on at a retro event. But I don't have a multi joy adapter, unfortunately. So maybe I need to try and get hold of one. Uh, the next one, Kowalski's Fury. It's a new run-and-gun-style kind of adventure game that finished second in the ABBUC contest. You don't see many games like this on the A8, so it's well worth checking out. Actually, it reminded me a bit of Impossible Mission, but a bit more action-orientated, so it's funny that we've mentioned that here as well. And next up, Millionaire. This was the eventual winner of the ABBUC prize. As you might have guessed, it's an Atari 8-bit version of the classic TV quiz show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Oh, wow. Yeah, and that actually, I think they've done in multiple languages as well, which is quite cool. Uh, you don't often see that. No. And last but not least, we have Animal Keeper, which is a homebrew clone of the classic Taito arcade game Zookeeper by Peter Meyer for the Atari 8-bit. Obviously, Peter Meyer has done loads of stuff for the, uh, the A8, but probably most people will remember him for the, the Port of Venture, and he also did Tempest Extreme as well so he's done some really good stuff and i believe you can buy that right now on a proper cartridge from video 61 and that's all my news it's time once again for the high score club competition and season 16 is just beginning there will be between 20 and 24 rounds for you to compete in Head on over to Atari Age, check out the thread under 8-Bit High Score Club, and vote on the games you'd like to play. Games can be played on both real Atari computer hardware or emulators. Then grab your controller to see if you could be the next gaming champion. All right, so our first game up is Airball. It's published by Atari, and it was released in 1987 by MicroDeal and 88 by Atari. The model number is RX8109. It's an arcade adventure, and the developer is John Sanderson and MicroDeal USA. So from the back of the box, it says, you have no time to lose. An evil wizard has transformed you into a fragile ball with a tiny hole that is gradually leaking precious air. Trapped in a huge mansion with over 150 rooms, you must watch out for hidden dangers that threaten to puncture your delicate skin while you desperately seek rooms which contain air pumps to replenish your dwindling supply. 
But pay close attention to your pressure gauge. As long as you remain on the pump, your internal pressure will continue to rise and will cause you to explode if you don't break away in time. It's a race against time, and your only hope is to find the evil wizard's spellbook, which contains the secret to regaining your human form. Can you outwit the wizard with, before he deflates your existence? So how do you play this game? When the game begins, you start with four balls. One of these is on the air pump in the main room of the Magic Mansion. Before you is your play field, which is displayed uh, using the isometric layout. Uh, press the select key while you're on the air pump to choose between fast or slow game speed. When not on the air pump, pressing select pauses the game. Stay on the air pump until you are fully inflated. But don't stand too long or you become overinflated and pop. Uh, once properly inflated, bounce off the pump and roll over to one of the arch doorways to enter another room. To travel around, move your joystick in the direction you want to travel. To bounce, press the joystick button. And bouncing allows you to skip over some of the hazards and climb stairs. Some of the hazards are sharp spears, spike balls, and prickly floor tiles. If you're low on air, try to make it to one of the rooms that contains the air pump. If you run out of air, get pierced by a hazard or overinflate and whiz around the room. Uh, of course, I don't know how you whiz around the room. But I assume they mean by air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once deflated, you will return to the last pump you encountered and will continue, but losing one of your balls until your reserves run out. On the space you perish, a cross will mark your location. This spot may come in handy later. Keep your eyes peeled for precious stones and gold bricks scattered throughout the mansion. You can pick up one of the magic treasures just by rolling over them. If you find the spell book, you can pick it up by pressing the option or the space bar. Then return to the starting room, drop the book using either the same two keys or wait for the wizard's instructions. Other items of use are the flashlight, a lantern, and a candle. The evil wizard has left these around the mansion for you to uh, use in certain rooms. Uh, how thoughtful of him. Uh, unfortunately, you can only pick up one item at a time, excluding magic treasure. So you'll find a need to drop some items to use another. But you can always return to pick up the dropped item again in the future. For the status display, at the bottom of your screen shows you how many balls you have left and how many objects besides magic tre treasures you've picked up. Some of the survival tips they mention in the, in the manual um, are memorize the layout of the rooms in order to avoid hazards. You might want to draw a map yourself. To earn the most points, retrieve every magic tre treasure you find. Return to the room with the air pump when you start to get low on air. And when exploring a room that contains crates... Try moving the crates by pressing either the option key or space bar. And look carefully behind the crates so you have moved. Crates can uh, be str strategically placed to help you avoid hazards. Uh, when you've reached the end of the game, you're given the choice of to collect some more ingredients. If you say yes, you'll be taken back to the map where you can easily collect uh, what the wizard requests from you. After collecting those items, he will uh, turn you back into a human. You are then allowed to enter three letters that identify you and your accomplishments. To select three letters uh, for your initials, just move the joystick uh, and uh, press the fire button to save your score. Although the top five scores will appear on the screen, as with all cartridges uh, on the Atari computer, as soon as you uh, power the machine off, the scores will be lost. Uh, the wizard will lord you between 25 and 100 points for each magic treasure you find. Uh, points values are assigned randomly. And uh, non-treasure items such as spellbook, light source, and other objects are not awarded points. 
So um, these have been ported to other machines. Uh, number one, the uh, Atari ST, and that also has an airball construction set that you can create your own levels. That's kind of cool. Also, the Amiga, the Apple II GS, the Dragon 3264, the TRS-80 uh, color computer, MS-DOS, Game Boy Advance, and the Nintendo NES prototype. You, where can you buy these? Well, Bravo Sierra Computers has, had a, has a copy listed as new for $40 U.S., eBay, uh, previous sales, sealed a box on September 23rd, 2017, had it listed at 89, 89.99 uh, euros, which is approximately $104 and change. That's a little bit expensive. <laughs> a package deal that contains three cart-only games, uh, one of them being Airball, a Mario Brothers carton box, and Romex WizKid was uh, listed as at $555 U.S. dollar. So um, that's uh, excessive. Um, I guess WizKid uh, must be pretty rare to have the, uh, that package command such a, such it a is. price. Yeah. Wow. The, Ro- yeah, the Romox games are all, I think they're all quite rare, but that one is particularly really rare. Interesting right. enough, I did have a look on eBay UK, and I didn't find a single one. Wow, really? Mm. Oh, no. Not even on sold items. There wasn't even anything on sold oh, items. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. No, see, no, I, no, I sometimes no. look in the past to see, you know, what, what will mm. generally run, but, you know. Uh, other places we looked was Best Electronics, and they didn't have in stock. Amazon, not available. BNC Computer Visions, uh, stock not available. They had a multi-system XP crash, which we mentioned in the previous episode. But I did go to their eBay store, and that's up, and that's um, a better experience anyway, so I just go there. Um, also, Video 61, they said it was not in stock. Now, they do have a form that you can submit questions, so I basically just shot off a message to him, but unfortunately the mailbox said it was unavailable, so I guess we'll just have to figure out another way to get in touch with them. So one of the things I do notice with the Atari um, community is their website uh, design uh, is is not always the best. (laughs) So bear with them. (laughs) So some of the trivia and info I found, um, so there's a screenshot on the top uh, on the box online that had a sticker that says Atari Advantage. Um, I'd never heard of this before, so I figured I'd take a look and see what I found. And on Atari Media, they had a PDF uh, that uh, discussed this. And so it, it appears it was a promotion for that Atari had for the 2600, 700, and, the, of course, the XE gaming system. And it was targeted at retailers. Uh, the Atari Advantage was a continuing program uh, where Atari customers earned uh, valuable prizes as they purchased Atari game cartridges. And using these credits, you could buy things such as a colorful Atari game player's T-shirt, free games, and system upgrades and peripherals. Uh, If you collected enough uh, credits, you could enter into a drawing for a fabulous trip to California to see Atari games being designed and made into at the Atari headquarters. Additionally, there were three great sweepstakes, which uh, you could win all the expense-paid trip to the World Series, Super Bowl um, 24, and uh, the 1989 NBA championship. These prizes were tied to a specific sports game. Details uh, were contained on the poster available within the game package. And uh, one line states, whether it's a sweepstake or collecting, each and every promotion is designed to bring customers into the, your stores to buy cartridges, making your sales skyrocket. And we will uh, provide a link to that in our show notes. I've actually got in quite a few of my... Sex games because I bought quite a few of them sealed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the Atari Advantage posters. Oh, sweet! I've got, I've got a few of them. I've got, I think three or four of them myself. Oh, that's cool! Um, all the ones I've got don't show twenty six hundred on. They just show XC and seventy eight hundred 
if I remember correctly. And are they um, the same? Are they all the I same? Think, I think I've got two different ones. Okay. But the one I've, but I think all of the ones I've got, on one side they've got all the Atari Advantage stuff, mm-hmm. and on the other side they've got Crystal Castle's poster. Ooh. Well, that's kind of cool. Like, it's like a poster as well, yeah, which is yeah. really cool. Um, I think I've done, I think I've done a video that actually shows it. In fact, I know I have. I'll find it and I'll stick it in the show notes, but I think I've actually, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure that I've actually done, now I'm thinking about it, a video showing them um, on YouTube some time ago. So I'll have to find that and stick it in the show notes because oh, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're actually pretty cool. But yeah, I've seen those. And I think if I remember rightly, you said about the collecting the vouchers or something. Yeah. I think in the instruction book here, I think there's one of the corners, it tells you to cut the corner off. Oh, I think, you know, as a, as a kind of token right. that you use as your proof of purchase. I think right. that's what it is, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Well, that'll mm. be a cool video to watch because, I mean, like, I just found out about this. I, I had never even heard of it. But, of course, it wasn't targeted to me. It was to, targeted to retailers. So. But you'd think you'd seen it in the stores or something. Mm. Yeah. So, anyway, that's um, the, the game. Let's go on to the reviews. Uh, David, what do you think about the game? Okay, well, for graphics, I gave it an 8. Only two color palette for each room. Majority of the game is brown and beige, but some rooms were red and black. The ball graphic was very well done and animated, and I got to see the ball whiz around the room many, many, many times. <laughs> Sometimes the things in the rooms were sort of clustered together. Combine that with the isometric view. Sometimes unless you try to navigate around an obstacle, you wouldn't think that you could actually go past that obstacle unless you tried due to uh, the clustering and the angles of the game. Some rooms are were hard to tell the difference between the trees and the spikes. Ouch. And I could have sworn that I saw a room where they were Daleks. <laughs> they didn't do anything, but the resemblance was uncanny. The Atari ST was a big upgrade in the graphics department, but heck, that was a 16-bit computer. Now, sound and music. I gave it a 6. Only one tune that pretty much plays throughout the entire game. No sound effects at all. No jumping sound effects. For gameplay, I gave it an 8. Wow, 150 rooms. Although I'm not sure if the hallway sections are counted as rooms. Now, both of the games we're reviewing in this episode were isometric viewpoint. But for some reason, I had more difficulty getting used to the angles or the control in this game than the Head Over Heels game. But the going through the doors was a lot more forgiving in this game than I found with Head Over Heels. But this game is tough. There is an entire walkthrough video on YouTube with someone commenting, Finally, I get to see the ending after about 25 years. (laughs) Back then, I was able to find all the items but could never get back to the first room. So that shows you how tough this game was. Now, presentation. I gave it a 5. The box is, per usual, XEGS box design. The cover art is not inspiring as other XEGS box cover arts. And the XEGS manual was just your basic monocolor. And other than cover art, there were no screenshots. To tell you the truth, the cassette art on the budget game looked like a full retail release with the cover art on this game looking more like a budget title. Anyway, my final score, believe it or not, is 7. 
And I think this was because I had played the budget title first when I was getting ready to do this episode. So I guess that had an effect on my rating on this game, considering that this was not a budget title, and I guess I had expected more from a non-budget release. Also, this is the type of game I would have had the patience when I was 15, but not (laughs) almost at 50. And just remember uh, the disclaimer, David's reviews are for entertainment purposes only. If you need expert reviews, listen to Kieran. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. How about you, Michael? Well, I uh, I kind of agree with a lot of stuff you said. Um, I start off by giving a graphics of eight. Um, I started off by, I, I played this on my uh, XE and and using my Commodore two thousand two monitor, and I found it really hard to make out things on the screen. I mean, you didn't really know what things were, and so you just walk around popping things or running into things and popping. Um, and also, it doesn't help that you have a limited uh, color palette. Since Now, then I booted up my emulator, and that was a lot more defined. So it was a little easier to figure out what things were. But um, even with the machine limitations, um, the graphics themselves were actually very nice. I enjoyed them. Um, and they had the little two report, uh, rotating dragons that flanked the play field. I thought that looked really nice. Nice little touch. Um, the medieval-styled fonts were large, and it gave a lot of detail. The ball, um, it's, a, it's a player missile graphic, so it's very colorful. They had uh, like three colors, I think, on it. It, was, it looked like a, you know, a, a basically a bubble, and it makes it stand out for the rest of the play field. As far as music... Uh, uh, six. Uh, there's no game sounds as you mentioned, and that uh, although the music was whimsical, uh, <laughs> you can't turn it off, and so it just keeps going and going and going. So I, I, I basically after a while, I just kind of went volume down. <laughs> uh, if gameplay, I gave a seven. Uh, it definitely requires uh, a lot of finesse and a lot of practice. Um, previously mentioned, your ball starts off on the air pump, and your first death will probably be from that overflating on the air pump. I popped several times before I realized, oh, this is where I need to get off. And um, because it's isometric, it's also a challenge uh, using, obviously, the directions on the joystick. And uh, because of the design, some of the paths were not exactly clear uh, since uh, they're uh, blocked by elements in the foreground. So, you know, you like the doorways sometimes uh, stand in front of the, uh, the, the tiles. And so I'm like, am I moving correctly? So, presentation, I give it a five, title screen, it's a static wizard zapping a ball, and it's, it's good, it's nice, uh, but the box cover image is a bit mediocre. Like you said, um, what you said, David, it uh, looks a little budget title-y. Uh, the back provides a nice overview of the gameplay with a single, albeit cropped, screenshot of a score with a score of zero, so it doesn't really, it's not really inspiring. Did you see As my initials as- beside it? Uh, no. Oh, DAV, <laughs> well, probably... next time you look, zero, it says DAV. Oh, okay. Well, it might have been cropped, <laughs> like I okay. said with that screenshot. As far as the manual, uh, here's where the image of the play field elements would really come in handy. It had none of that. Uh, but even if it did, the lack of color in the manuals would still uh, put your ability to identify those elements in the game at a disadvantage. Still, even though the manual is short, as an actual setup story, and the manual does a good job explaining how to play the game. It does display the button presses, such as the space bar and option in bold, which makes it pop. I also like the idea of providing survival tips, but I don't think uh, those tips, like drawing a map or collecting all the treasure to earn the most points and returning to the room with the air pump, is anything that I wouldn't like figure it out on my own or by reading the what they had actually described in the game. So um, not, not a real... Uh, 
tip there. So uh, my final score, I give it a 7. I find it to be a very challenging game. Um, Generally, some of the gameplay aspects, such as not being able to tell where the dangers are, as well as controlling the ball through the isometric world, make the game challenging in the wrong areas. But with a little practice, and you will be adept at these limitations and should find the game entertaining. Unfortunately, since uh, the map isn't randomized, I I think you'll lose interest after you complete the game a few times. And it's too bad it doesn't have a level construction uh, kit uh, like the ST version has. So anybody out there who um, who could uh, write one up, that'd be great. I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, that's my review of it. Uh, Kieran, what do you think of the game? Yes. Yeah, so first of all, I should say that I'm generally not a fan of isometric adventures. Um, there are a lot of them um, on the Spectrum, which is obviously the computer that I grew up with. Um, but I did actually quite like Airball. And uh, my review is more based on how I judge it as a game rather than my uh, own personal opinion. I guess this is kind of my professional head talking here that uh, David already spoke about. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of built me up for that already. So graphics, um, although they're mostly brown, as mentioned, they are beautifully designed. And the fact they chose to color the ball blue is a really nice touch, I thought. Um, That very much helps it pop out from the screen. I wish they'd added some sort of colour to the animated snakes in the border, though, because I think that would have been a cool idea as well. Sound and music. Uh, I went for an eight again. Okay, so it only has music and no sound effects, but I do think that piece of music is very nice indeed. It maybe will get a bit irritating on long play sessions, though, but for as long as I can last in this game, um, I really like it. Gameplay, I went for nine. As already mentioned, this is an absolutely huge game that will take you ages to fully explore. On a system with a great deal of shorter, more arcade-like games, I think the airball really stands out from the crowd. Presentation, eight. The box is nice enough. The usual Zeg standard, really, but I did like the title screen here. And I think extra marks for the in-game presentation with that animated border that I already mentioned. So final score, I went for nine again. Uh, There isn't really anything else like this for the Zegs until you start looking towards the homebrew community. So I think for that reason alone, I'd say this is a game that every Zegsy person should have in their collection. So yeah, um, external reviews. Atari Mania, 7.5 out of 10 with 37 votes. The A to Z of Atari 8-Bit Games Volume 3 by me. You can go and buy it now, go and buy it now, go and buy it now. Kindle Store, Amazon, go and buy it now. Uh, Kieran reviewed this, or I reviewed this. I'm reading my uh, third person there. I'm getting all pretentious. <laughs> I reviewed this in my latest book, and I gave it 9 out of 10. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So it was actually very fresh in my mind because actually both the games that we have done today, I reviewed in my latest Atari 8-bit book. So I'd, I'd already played them absolutely loads um, for the review before doing um, this podcast, which helped a lot. And Analog Issue 78, November 1989, page 51. It's reviewed by Matthew W.J. Ratcliffe. Uh, it's more of an overview than a review, but what he personally said about the game was favourable. Other than this, it will not run on older 400-800 machines, because I believe it requires 64K of memory. That's a really good review, and I want to just let you know, I find you a very zegzy person. <laughs> I liked that <laughs> phrase when I thought of it. I thought, I'm using that again. We are, seg- we are sexy hosts. <laughs> All, right. All right. So we haven't got any user feedback. No, of course, nobody's nope. listening. Nope, nope. No one <laughs> listens to us. <laughs> That's I a blooper. Uh, we're going to we're gonna have to start making some up. Yeah, I just lie. <laughs> yeah. A just- S- 
an Estramel from Sunnyvale, California said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, Kieran, I don't know if that's a real person. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, we got a call from uh, the son of Jackie T. <laughs> from a place called Atari Corp. <laughs> Never heard of it. Uh, all right. Hey, everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Have you ever wondered why Yar wanted revenge? How one becomes a frogger, exactly? Why those robots in Berserk went, well, Berserk? Me too. On Atari Bytes, we do more than review the games. We dig deep to find the story of the characters within the games. If we know the actual story, we tell you that. If we don't know the story, which is more often the case, we make one up. Hopefully, to your amusement. And occasionally, to provoke a thought or two. So if this sounds interesting to you, I hope you'll check out Atari Bytes. B-Y-T-E-S. Wherever fine podcasts are sold for absolutely no money at all. Thanks. So, our second review, our budget game bonanza this episode is Head Over Heels. The publisher is The Hit Squad. The year of release was 1990. The genre is arcade adventure. And the developer was Colin Porch for Ocean Software Limited. So, description. Head Over Heels is an arcade-style adventure game that was first released in 1987 for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, and Commodore 64, with many other ports following later. The working title for the game was actually Foot and Mouth. It uses an isometric engine that is similar to the filmation technique that was first developed by Ultimate Play the Game. Better known today as Rare. It was the second isometric game created by John Rittman and Bertie Drummond after Batman and proved hugely successful for developers Ocean. Although the Atari 8-bit version was in fact advertised along all, alongside all the other versions as a full-price game and even reviewed by magazines of the time, it never actually appeared until a, the budget re-release some three years later. So, although Head Over Heels technically isn't a budget game, the A8 version definitely is, as that's the only way it was actually published. Colin Porch told me himself when I met him at a, at a retro event a few years ago, which was really cool, that he converted it over the space of a few weeks from the Commodore 64 version, which he also did. So he basically used a, the same code to port it to the to the Atari. Um, but Ocean decided not to publish it and sat on it for several years instead. So he was actually quite surprised, but also very pleased when it was finally released in 1990. Colin also programmed the upgraded Atari ST version and worked on a sequel, um, known as Head Over Heels 2, unsurprisingly, which was destined for the ST but was sadly never released. So the plot is that Hedus Maltheon, Head, and Footus Underinium, Heels, are two spies from the planet Freedom. They are sent to Blacktooth to liberate the enslaved planets of Penitentiary, Safari, Bookworld, and Egyptus and then defeat the Emperor to prevent further planets falling under his rule. Captured and separated, the spies are placed in the prison headquarters of Castle Blacktooth, and must first escape, then break through the market to the orbiting moon base, where they can teleport down to the planets to locate and reobtain the stolen crowns. Liberation of the planets and defeating the Emperor will allow Head and Heels to return to freedom as heroes. Ritman himself admits that the storyline lacked any real connection to the actual gameplay. In an interview for Edge magazine, he stated that he made the whole game up on the spot 
and then added the bullshit in the last 10 minutes. I love that quote. Brilliant. That's so John Rippon as well. If you ever read anything that he's done, he's uh, he's quite amusing and, and very blunt. <laughs> in the game. just went up to PG-13. <laughs> yeah, indeed. At a Peggy rating. In the game, the player controls two characters instead of just one, each with different abilities. Head can jump higher than heels, control himself in the air, and fire donuts from a hooter to paralyze enemies. While heels can run twice as fast as head, climb certain staircases that head cannot, and carry objects around the room in a bag. These abilities become complementary where the player combines them together after completing roughly a sixth of the game. Compared to its predecessors, the game offers unique and revolutionary gameplay, complex puzzles, and more than 300 rooms to explore. Drummond contributed some famously surreal touches, including robots controlled by push switches that bear a remarkable resemblance to the head of Prince Charles on the body of a Dalek. I knew it! Other surreal touches, there you go. Other surreal touches include enemies with the heads of elephants and staircases made of dogs that teleport themselves away as soon as head enters the room. So the legacy of the game. It was originally released to the Amstrad CPC, Amstrad PCW, Atari 8-bit, Atari ST, Commodore 64... Amiga, MSX, and Sinclair ZX Spectrum. So those were the, the versions that were published by Ocean and their budget label, The Hit Squad. So it also received unofficial ports to the Apple Mac, Windows, and Linux in 2003, as well as an official iOS conversion in 2012. In 1994, Ocean published an unofficial follow-up for the Nintendo Game Boy called Monster Max, which was also created by Ritman and Drummond, and is widely regarded as one of the Game Boy's best hidden gems. As I already mentioned, a sequel was in development for the Atari ST, but was sadly never released. And several years ago, Colin himself was showing us off at a few retro events, which is where I met him, and got to play it, and he promised to finish finish it and release it. Unfortunately, his poor health has put this mission on hold which is really sad because what i played of head over heels 2 it was um it was more the same but it was really really good really nice game so where to buy um your best bet um is actually going to be on ebay uk i did have a look earlier on but i didn't find any so um i can't really help much there but uh I think the problem with it is because of it coming out in 1990, that, that's fairly late in the kind of lifetime for the Atari 8-bit. So I think it's, it's probably not the easiest, um, easiest one to find. Okay, so David, what did you think of the game? Well, as you know, this game I actually liked a lot better than Airball. So for graphics, I gave it a 7. For some reason, this listen to me, I'm writing this here, and remember when I wrote this review, Kieran had not yet written his review, so I'm writing here, for some reason this feels like a game on the specky. <laughs> With monocolor <laughs> graphics, that being said, the graphics are well detailed, different levels are different colors, which is a nice change from Airball. Detailed items like the drum, change purse, to the half Dalek Futurama head. Now, I didn't know that was supposed to be uh, Prince Charles, but I knew, it reminded me of a Futurama head. Anyway, <laughs> so sound and music, I actually gave it an 8. A nice intro tune with sound effects for walking, jumping, sliding, etc. Gameplay, 8. Sort of a strategy puzzle platformer. Will keep you busy for many, many hours of gameplay, trying to figure out how to get from various rooms and obtain various items. Presentation. I gave it a 7. The start screen is an all is all but one color, but it's functional. The cassette cover art really pops. 
very colorful. Instructions themselves are blend text. My final score is 7.5 out of 10. Now, as I said before, my disclaimer, take that review with a grain of salt. Michael? I give this an eight, uh, 8 out of 10. I think this is some of the best uh, or this is the you know most well-drawn and creative graphics I've seen for the Atari. I love the level design. I think it was done really well. Um, it Like Airball, there are some elements of the game that won't immediately seem obvious to you that it'll kill you or not. But due to the higher resolution than Airball, uh, which I think is like a graphics mode 8, it's really tight. It's, you know, two colors, so that just makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a bit more easy um, after a while to make things out. Um, unlike Airball, this game doesn't seem to uh, use the uh, player missile graphics, which, you know, would have given a little bit of pop of color and help um, the player stand a little bit more. But I think because the high, they wanted to get, capture the higher resolution graphics, um, that's probably a reason why they stuck with just the that um, just those graphics. Um, both the fonts and the icons are really well done. And uh, when you uh, select a menu item, you get this real nice fade effect. I like that. Also, just to mention, I'm a big fan of the ST's um, high resolution, so this monochrome look is um, something on my alley. Um, as far as sound and music, I give it a 7. It has a nice little jaunty tune at the beginning, as well as uh, when you when you glide down, uh, it makes it a little which was nice. And uh, the walking has a little Pac-Man walk sound, but you know, this after a while, this is, gets a little grating over time. Uh, the music had a lot of high ends, or trebles uh which uh i'd like to hear a little more bass and rhythm in there but other than that it was it was a fine fine tune as far as ga- uh, gameplay i give it an eight. First off the game gives you a moral choice to escape or to can you uh to the slave planet which was um definitely unique for um a game of this time i don't think they gave you moral choices in games back then um the speed of the game is not frantic uh, which might d- disappoint some people but it's a puzzle game so you know it doesn't have to be fast-paced as I mentioned with Airball, uh, you have the navigation issues with uh, isometric games. That uh, That's pretty much my problem. But since uh, everything didn't kill you like it uh, it does in Airball, you know, you can run into things and not pop, um, it allows you a little wiggle room and course correction. Uh, you start off uh, by playing head, but then you get a chance to play heels, and then both at the same time. I think that's a very uh, cool game dynamic. I did notice that some platforms you jump on would disappear while others didn't. Uh, I would have liked uh, unique blocks for the ones that would do that so you knew what you were you know, jumping into. So that's my really moment complaint with that. Presentation, I give it a 7. Um, let's start with the menus. You get options to adjust your sound and to set the sensitivity of the controls. Again, Airball could have used these options. In fact, the uh, adjust the sound option reminds me of uh, Doom difficult settings. We have a little bit of humor in there. There was lots, lots of sound, lots of it, then not so much, and then pardon? Like you were hard of hearing and <laughs> couldn't hear it. So I thought that was a great touch. Uh, I find that as far as the sound settings, I'm more into a not-so-much kind of guy, so that omits the uh, constant uh, moving sound. Since I uh, I expect that finishing the game would take some time, I wish there was a save feature, say, to a blank cassette. I mean, this is a cassette game, so it's not like a disc, so what do you expect? But it would have been nice to be able to do that. And as far as the box, um, the cover of the game... Is uh, the cover of the game is very colorful and represents the game's character well. The back shows the typical screenshots, but those images from various games, and doesn't say which images are for which game. So they probably throw a specky image in there, maybe a Commodore 64. It was just a kind of a, a random set of images. Uh, 
think um, there's one. I think it's one ST, one Amstrad, one Atari. Ah, on Spectrum, I think, if I remember rightly. Okay, so they're trying to cover all bases, mm. and so you're looking at like, well, which is it? And, and just a little label would have been nice. It's a it's a minor uh, complaint. Although the internal portion of the manual is lackluster, on the funny side, uh, there is a banner at the top of each page that states Atari 800, but just below one of the pages it says the game runs on the XL and XEs. So I thought that was kind of interesting, a little flub in the in the documentation. That's that's actually quite common on uh, is it a lot of the UK published games. Yeah. I think there was a lot of confusion. You'll see it in magazines, actually, in some of the multi-form magazines. There was a lot of confusion over the whole, whole 400 800 XLXE, yeah. you know, the the model range. I think yes. that was one of the things that really cost Atari, actually, yeah. with the 8-bit range was the branding, because yeah. I think a lot of people were just confused. And really, it's only more recent years that we've used the term Atari 8-bit. No one used it back then. No, not at all. Not at all. And you so, had mentioned previously that it does not run on an 800. I, I confirm that, because I got my little 800 right Yeah, here. I know it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It's, it's an XCX, XLXE game. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, they should have just said XLXE, yeah. but yeah. A small, I can imagine small... people buying that when they've had an Atari 800 and being rather annoyed. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So my final score, I give it an 8. Um, I really enjoyed this game and would see myself playing this on a, you know, put this in my list of regular games I visit. And I think this is the first time I've actually given a, and I'm going to do double quotes because you said it was not exactly supposed to be a budget game, but mm-hmm. a budget game higher than an XEGS cart game. And on a system side note, although the game isn't uh, was never released for the Mac, and I'm talking the Mac Monochrome, um, I wish yeah. they would have ported it. But you told me <laughs> previously it was ported to the Mac recently. I think it was somewhat recently, right? 2003, I think it yeah. was. Yeah. So, but it's for the color still. Mm. Um, you know, I don't get the Monochrome love, but um, still, that's great. I mean, if you guys got a Mac out there, an older Mac, give it a shot. Um, additionally, um, although they did port for the ST, uh, the version was in a low-res. And again, I wish they would have offered a high-res and low-res version, because I do appreciate the high, uh, ST's high-res. So what about you, Kieran? What did you think of it? Well, interestingly, actually, on that last point that you said yeah. about, one of the one of the versions that, that it came out for, one of the systems it came out for, which will be totally unfamiliar to, to you guys over there, but it was a system called the Amstrad PCW. Mm-hmm. And basically what that was was a very cheap word processor computer. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't a PC. It used a Z80, but it was basically... it. They Amstrad sold millions of them to offices. Oh. So it was a, just a very, very cheap business computer. Um, and it had a green screen, monochrome-only green screen. That was the only display you could have with it. It had no mm-hmm. color. And um, it actually came out on that. Not many games did come out for that because obviously it wasn't a games machine. Right. They did actually release Head Over Heels for that. And that version obviously has a very crisp yeah. um, monochrome look to it. So it's funny you said about the Mac because that's kind of a, a similar comparison because obviously back then the Mac was a very much a business machine. Yes. Which is why it had the, the, the monochrome display. Definitely, mm. definitely, yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I'm glad that a business machine got a game. It's always nice to have at least one game <laughs> for business machines besides something like Free Cell or Solitaire. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew a kid who had an, an Amstrad PCW. I always felt really sorry for him because his uh, dad bought it. His dad bought it as a business computer for his home business, right. but could never, could never really work out how to use it. So he just gave it to his son and basically said, you wanted a computer. There you go. You've got a computer. <laughs> 
he was like, yeah, I didn't want this computer. You know, I, he wanted a Spectrum. He desperately wanted a Spectrum because right. that's what most people had. Yeah. No. Um, he said, like, no, no, this is a perfectly good computer. There you go. And I can remember we used to go every time we went to like the shops and stuff, you know, game shops, they would never have any Amstrad PCW games. <laughs> he had three and I think they were chess. He had a James Bond game, believe it or not. There was a James oh. Bond game that came out on it. And he had another game, which was the lamest thing ever. And it, was a, it wasn't really a game, but it was like semaphore flags. Oh, like you do semaphore. It was so terrible. <laughs> but I always oh. felt really sorry for him because that's all he had. Yeah. Oh, parents. <laughs> I know, they but I would have loved Ted over heels if he'd seen it, but we never saw it anywhere. Exactly, yeah. But yes, my review, I'll get on with it. I digress. <laughs> um, so uh, graphics, I gave 8 out of 10. I love the high-res Micron graphics. I think they're really nice, and it, it looks pretty much identical to the ZX Spectrum original. I mean, David obviously mentioned it looked like a ZX Spectrum game. The ZX Spectrum was the first version that was programmed. The three original 8-bit versions were all released at the same time, I think. Spectrum, Amstrad, Commodore 64. It, the development started with the ZX Spectrum version, and then all the graphics were taken from that version. So you'll see that actually it looks pretty much identical on every system. Barley 16 bits, the graphics obviously are, are different on those because they added color. Um, but all, all the 8 bit versions have kind of got that, that crisp monochrome look to them. So, sound and music, 8 uh, again. So, I, I like the title music, the in game effects, I think, are excellent, um, which makes it sound a lot better than the ZX Spectrum version did because uh, the ZX Spectrum version only had like one channel beeper sound which is awful Ooh. and came out of an internal speaker in the bottom of the the computer um so it sounded the spectrum original sounded terrible so the atari bit version is a lot better there um gameplay nine the unique gameplay doesn't just make it stand out for the atari bit but also gives it a real point of difference from other isometric based adventures in general as i kind of mentioned in the uh, description of the game that kind of whole co-op you know, nature between the two characters, and that was really unique um, for the time. Presentation, eight. Um, I really like the cover art. Ocean's cover art was actually always really, really good. If you want to see really beautiful cover art for, for games, then go back and look at anything Ocean Software did back then, because they had they actually had their own internal guys who just worked on cover art. That's They, they knew the importance of, of cover art selling games, so it was, it was a big thing to them. Um, and while the title screen is simple, it does feature multiple screens that tell you a little bit about the game. So final score, I went for a nine, because I think the Atari 8-bit bought is every bit as good as the ZX Spectrum original. And if you like arcade adventures, and I think Head Over Heels is pretty much unmissable. So that is, is my review. So we all liked Head Over Heels, so it's such a shame that Bill wasn't here. Yeah. Because Bill would have probably hated it, like all my budget <laughs> Draw the, the main, t- the main uh, collected score down. Yeah, he'd have hated <laughs> Three out of ten. Yeah, he probably would have... Be- Knowing Bill, actually, he probably would have bemoaned the, um, the, the lack of um, PMG overlays or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so external reviews... The A to Z of Atari at Bit Games Volume 3. Yes, my book again, as I already mentioned. I gave it 9 out of 10 in there too, obviously. I, I tend to be consistent. It currently has 7.5 out of 10 from 52 reviews on Atari Mania. Computer and Video Games Magazine here in the UK awarded the Atari 8-bit version 9 out of 10 back in 1987 and gave the same score to the other 8-bit versions too. And they described it as a must-have game 
for all Atari 8-bit owners. So that must be really annoying if you're an Atari 8-bit owner back then and you read that review in computer and video games only for the game not to come out until exactly. three years later. Because yeah. Atari user also reviewed it in 1987 and they gave it 8 out of 10 praising it as being a really unique game for the system. So again, it was reviewed in a, you know, a couple of the big magazines and then um, never appeared. Um, Ocean, did, actually, as a side there, um, there was quite a few games that Ocean advertised um, for the Atari 8-bit and um, they only ever released two of them, which were Green Beret and Arkanoid, did come out on full price. Um, but all the others they announced uh, never appeared. And we were lucky we got Head Over Heels three years later on budget, but yeah, it's a shame really because they're their, their quality was generally very high on, on, on other 8-bit systems, so it's a shame they didn't um, put a bit more effort into the Atari. But there we go. There's a multitude of um, other reviews out there for other systems because obviously it came out on so many systems and it was a, a, a quite big release at the time. It was you know, number one in the charts and everything. So, But the highlights are the Games Machine magazine gave it 97%, and that was a score across all platforms. The ST version was awarded 92% in ST Action, and the original ZX Spectrum version received a perfect score of 5 out of 5 in Sinclair User. And Zap64 were also pretty generous, giving it a 98% rating for the Commodore 64 version. So you can see the um, the press of the time absolutely loved the game, which is one reason why um, it was so successful. So that tells you a little bit about it. Yeah. You know what I really want to know, Kieran? Hmm. How are you How feeling? Are you? You've said Commodore 64 so many times. I've I know, never I, heard you say it so many yeah, times. I in don't one think episode. we said it. How are I you feel, alive? I'm feeling quite dirty. To be honest. <laughs> you need to take a shower, and now. I haven't even mentioned it in a negative way, which I think makes I it. The only slight negative was I mentioned that Total Eclipse, is, the, the conversion is better than the Commodore 64. So, mm, But not yeah, really. But you threw, enough, a few, but, threw booze in there. Yeah, yeah. Was, I need to get a few more jibes in and the the, yeah, right. the, co- the commode in the next episode. He was a circuit bill, so he just stepped yeah. in to fill in the <laughs> the booze. You get a few digs in at the commode and the crapple too, and yeah. <laughs> so our next episode is actually going to be a shoot 'em up special, where we will be bringing you a review of cartridge game Thunderfox a fast action clone of the Commodore 64 classic Iridium. And our budget game will be Sidewinder 2 by Mastertronic. So join us then for more Zegsy action. <laughs> more Zegsy action. Yes. This is a very Zegsy I told you I was going to use it again. I told you I was going to use that again, didn't I? <laughs> well, I guess that's about it. That's it, guys. You can find our latest episodes, news, and information on our website, www.xegs8bit.com. We also have links on there, so you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to thank ComputeHer for giving us permission to use her song software as our show's theme song. You can visit ComputeHer at ComputeHer.com. That's ComputeHer.com for more information. Also thanks to the folks who contribute to and maintain the Atari Mania database, Wikipedia, and other fine results of Google searching. We are part of the Throwback Network, a group of podcasters with one thing in common. We all love old things. Whether it's old video games, old movies, old toys, or simply old stories, the Throwback Network is the place to find them all. Visit throwbacknetwork.net to learn more. We are also part of the Retro Junkies Network, a network of like-minded retro enthusiasts who like to keep things clean and family-friendly. 
Our content ranges from retro gaming, retro movies, retro TV shows, retro music, and basically anything retro that is worth remembering. Find us at theretrojunkies.com. Then, um, what was the other game called? Airball. Hey, I can't even remember the, the old game. Let me <laughs> start blowing you away so much. Let me start again. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Right, I'm back. Sorry, my cats were hassling me as well, so I was just giving them some dreamies to shut them up. Oh, I thought, uh, you know what? I thought you had gone and started playing with your XC64 Mini, <laughs> and you forgot to record. <laughs> Presentation, I gave it a 7. The start scream, start scream, fighting Megatron. You're talking now, about near? Near Dairy, that's right. Yes. Okay, yeah, I was trying to... <laughs> No problem. We're all losing our we're all losing our memories here. So if we forget your name, we don't mean it. <laughs> What's your <Okay>. name again? <laughs> I don't know who the heck you are. <laughs> Just some guy who bugs me every couple of months to, to record something. <laughs>